0: but because I started exposing very silly fears that silly for other people but for me they were limiting my life like eating the oyster or getting a Brazilian wax or holding a cat for the first time like it's a big deal you know people can start to see that they they also have those small fears and that they are embarrassed by them but when they see me being proud of them like yeah I did it I held a cat and I celebrate myself because of those accomplishments they're like oh maybe I can also expose some of my fears and be proud of them and face them and see what happens. (laughs)
1: That's my guest on today's episode of the Mic Drop Moment, Michelle Poehler. She's the author of the brand new book, Hello Fears. I'm holding it in my hands right now, and it is gorgeous. It looks like no other book I've seen out there. You can check it out at hellofearsbook.com. You can also check her out on Instagram at hellofears. In 2015, Michelle launched a project called 100 Days Without Fear, where for 100 days, she would vlog herself doing things that she was scared of, things that she was fearful of. That ended with the fear number 100 being speaking on the stage at TEDx Houston. Since then, she's become one of the hottest public speakers out there, speaking to audiences of 10 and 20,000 people all across the world. And in her brand new book, Hello, Fear, she shows us how to do that as well. In this episode, we talk about building a standout brand, chasing your fears, and why it's always best to just be yourself. See, sounds like my kind of person, right? I'm excited for you to hear this one. Let's dive in
2: so you have a story to tell. And you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino.
1: So I have to admit, Michelle, when I first heard of you, I was so jealous. I was jealous of your brand. I was jealous that you had such an undeniable charismatic way of being. I've always been super attracted to people who really just can be themselves in front of others because I think we need more of that. I mean, that's the whole point of the mic drop moment is finding ways to be unapologetically ourselves because I think that's when the world moves forward. And so when I look at you, someone who just wrote a brand new book called Hello Fears and did a project of a hundred days without fears. When I look at you, I see someone who has a brand that's rocking, that is bold and real and honest and totally them. I see someone who gets on stage and dances in front of like corporate audiences. Were you always this way? Were you just born this charismatic and this clearly able to be yourself in front of other people is that something you've had since birth because it feels like it's a really natural place for you from the outside looking in
0: um thank you for that intro (laughs) um let me i don't know if if i was born yes yeah (laughs) i would have to say that um never consider speaking as a career i didn't know it was a career I, I think that if i would have known then definitely it would have been my life goal but <laughs> I, I i had no idea until i became one so for me it was not planned i kind of stumbled upon this and then i was like "Who? Oh, i found gold <laughs> like that's how it felt a little bit but yes throughout my entire life since i was very little I enjoyed the spotlight. I've always wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted for people to know who I am and to do something, whatever, but something that is impactful enough to make a dent in the world.
1: And when you were little, I was reading this about you, when you were little, as a child, you needed glasses and that led you to actually be like super scared of leaving your parents' side. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I was consider a very shy child like my parents thought that i was very like dependent on them because i would never leave their side like we would go to birthday parties and while all the kids are just jumping and running away from their parents and having fun i was always very close to them and so they just assumed that i was very shy and that's it they were like trying to deal with that emotionally but one day, they sort of realized that I wasn't seeing clearly from a distance because I was like, hey, mom, look at that. I think that's a camp- campfire or something. She's like, no, that's clearly whatever, something else. I'm like, "No, oh, I'm pretty sure it's a campfire. And she's like, no. So we walked there and I was like, ooh, I was wrong. And then she took me to the eye doctor. And then they found out that I actually needed glasses and turns out, I think I needed them since I was very little. And they discovered this uh, when I was seven years old. So for seven years, it's not like I was shy. It was just that I was very afraid to get lost. And I do remember the fear of getting lost. That's why I opened my speech saying that my first fear was to walk down the aisle as a flower girl, because my fear was that when I get to the other side, I wouldn't find my mom or my dad
1: yeah it's it's so interesting to think of like that as a metaphor for life in a way too because years later now in 2015 you did uh tedx houston and the big stage it put you really really set you up for this amazing speaking career and it's almost like in some way that was also like putting on your glasses and saying like wow this is what i'm supposed to be doing wasn't it
0: oh my god yes i like that analogy a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's it's true yeah and i you know not having Glasses for the first seven years of my life really dictated a lot of my childhood and even my adulthood. Like, um, my fears were very present in my life because of that. I think that's where it all started my fear of getting lost, of not trusting in myself, you know? And so I just. Uh, nurture that personality the fearful personality and then one day when i moved to new york in 2014 i started seeing better who i was what were some of my dreams and i realized that my fears were not allowing me to fulfill those dreams and that's when i decided to i guess get classes right and start (laughs) uh, facing my life in a different way
1: In 2015, Michelle was about to graduate with a master's degree in branding from the School of Visual Arts. The head of the school gave all of the graduating students a challenge. Do something for 100 days. Michelle decided to chase her fears. Her project, 100 Days Without Fears, was born to help Michelle jump into all the things that had always scared her. She created a video series, a vlog series, and a website, 100 Days Without Fear, that took her through chasing all of her fears. Things like eating oysters, things like skydiving, crashing a wedding, and writing an honest letter to her parents. That one, by the way, made me cry, so you should definitely check it out on YouTube. And Fear Number 100 was giving a speech on stage at TEDxHouston, where she actually shared what she had learned with the previous 99 fears. That speech helped turn Michelle into a motivational speaker and helped the world realize just exactly what's on the other side of chasing our fears. And I was curious was giving the speech something she always thought she could do, or was it a new fear that she had and had to accomplish? Here's what Michelle had to say about that. When you did, when you did the TEDx Houston, which was the, the 100th uh, fear in this, this project that you worked on, when you did that, did you know right then? oh, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing, or did it take time? Or Because when I watch that video, I look at someone who is like, you understand that your currency is your charm and charisma and you being you in front of them, and it feels so natural. So did you in that moment say, oh, done, this is what I'm doing?
0: I have to say that previous to speaking at TEDx, I was doing a master's in branding at the School of Visual Arts, and I had to do a lot of presentations. I never did public speaking before. And so those presentations that I did in front of my class, which was in front of only like 20, 25 people, were preparing me to TEDx because every single week I had to present in front of my my classmates. And every time that I presented, I got the same feedback from the my, you know, people in the class and professors, they would always say that I was very engaging when I was speaking. It doesn't matter the subject, doesn't matter what I'm presenting. They said that they want to hear more. Then whenever I'm speaking, they're very engaged, they're focused, they just want to hear whatever I have to say. And I kept hearing that feedback over and over again. I was like, cool. I I didn't know what can I do with that. And I didn't think about it for too long. And then when I spoke at TEDx, I was like, Remembering those comments from my classmates and I was like, maybe there is something there. So let me try it out with a real audience. And so I spoke for 18 minutes. And it was the best experience of my life, even though I was (laughs) terrified, like, very, very scared to go on stage and give this presentation the moment i stepped foot on that stage i started to enjoy it mostly the reaction of the audience because i've been practicing the talk for weeks by myself at home and i didn't know if people were going to laugh at my jokes or feel engaged and related to my story and then i say something and suddenly i hear the entire audience say (gasps) And then I put a video and people start laughing and clapping. And then by the end of it, they stand up and they give me a standing ovation. So it's my first time ever speaking and I'm getting a standing ovation. And I was like, okay, this is something I have to continue doing somehow.
1: And so did you know... What? Because I think there's a lot of people that do a TEDx and that TEDx goes and some of them get a ton of views, some of them it's very slow. What was it like for you once it went live and you were watching the numbers grow on people watching it? Uh, What was going on for you then?
0: So I didn't know what to expect. And I met, previous to that experience, another speaker, Well, someone that also spoke at TEDx. And what he told me is, don't worry, after uh, your video goes live, you're going to start receiving inquiries from clients who would want you to go and speak at their corporate offices. Uh, So your career as a speaker will launch just like that. And so... The video went live and i waited by the phone yeah. <laughs> i'm like okay where are the clients and the number kept going up it's now at over 400,000 views i think mm-hmm. which is more than i was expecting and the phone never rang so i was like okay this is not happening like he told me what do <laughs> i have to do and then i realized like it's up to me you know i can just uh, say, okay, I guess it was not that good. Maybe I should find another job. Like I, I quit my job in advertising by that point because it was one of the fears that I faced. But my I was in between finding a new job in, in branding or pursuing this career as a speaker and building a movement. So Maybe a lot of people would have thought, "Hmm, maybe this is not for me. Maybe it was not good enough. Maybe I should find a job and forget about this. Go for the stability, I guess, right? The stable job. Uh, But no, I was like, oh, no way. I want this more than anything. So (laughs) let me go out and find it. So that's when I started hustling for my, my career.
1: And so what were the first things that you did? So if somebody's listening and they're thinking like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got a movement in me or I did a TEDx and people are watching it or whatever the case might be, what were your steps as you were thinking of what's first, what's next? How did you, what was the order of that for you?
0: Yeah, so it was very new for me because it's my first time attempting this new career that I've never done in my life and that I don't really know people in this field. <laughs> so I only knew this Person that gave the TEDx and gave me that advice that didn't work out for me. It worked (laughs) for him. Good for him, not for me. And then I met another amazing speaker at TEDx. He was closing um, the event, like he was the last speaker and he was amazing. And he approached me and he said, I want to help you out. Uh, I really enjoyed your presentation. You have what it takes to become a speaker. Give me a call and I'll tell you what to do. So I called him a month later, he's, he's so busy. And like the whole month, I was like waiting, just like counting the days. When can I talk to this guy? And then finally, we had a 30 minute conversation. And he started telling me exactly what to do. So he was like, you need a website, you need a demo reel. And the only thing I had was my TEDx. So he's like, start with TEDx. That's it. Start sending that to people. And he's like, you need to build a 45 minute talk. You need a title. You need you know, a summary, uh, some key takeaways, you need to put all of this into your website and you have to start reaching out to maybe bureaus or potential clients and let them know that, you know, what you're looking for uh, in case they need you. And so I I did that. And then I started building a list of potential companies or clients that I want to work for. And so my list started with people that I knew. And so I was like, I have a friend that works at Google. I have a friend that works at Bayer. I have a friend that works at Procter and Gamble. I have, uh, my cousin knows someone at Netflix. And then I started just writing down all of these names and I started to reach out to all of them one by one. And I was like, Hey, to my friend that works at Google, What do you think about organizing a talk there that I can go and I can, you know, give my speech for free? And she was like, "I love the idea. I'll bring you on." So she organized a small event of like 30 or 40 people, Um, and I went. And that was my first talk ever, like first real 45-minute talk. Um, I built it. I practice it so many times. And then from there, Google ended up hiring me to talk at their different locations for their clients, for their partners, for for their employees. So that was like a great start. And then just like that, I started speaking at Facebook, at Netflix, because I wanted to start with big clients that I can put their logos on my website. So I was like, even if I have to do this for free, to have those logos are worth a lot. So Uh, I'm not here for the money just yet. I'm here to build a long lasting career.
1: And did you, when you first had to go from doing an 18 minute talk to building 45 minutes, how did you go into the content and say, do I just talk about all one? Because at the beginning, the TEDx talk talked a lot about the process of what you went through with the hundred days with that project. So did you just take it and put more of the days in there? or How did you adapt your TEDx talk into a full uh, talk that you went and gave?
0: I think that the biggest challenge I I had was to build an 18 minute talk for TEDx. I had so (laughs) much story, so many stories, so much material, concepts, things that I wanted to explain that it was really hard to condense everything in 18 minutes. So when I had to create a 45 minute talk, that was easy. It was just like, oh, I have all the content I need, and of course that content um changed so much throughout the years. So if I because I did, I watched my presentation that I gave at at Google. I watched it in the last like week. I I (laughs) I think because I wanted to see what was it like then for me. And it it has changed so much, but little by little. So every piece of that presentation has evolved in a different time frame. Like you know, it's just it just beautiful evolution of giving that same talk over and over again for a period of four years until I have now what makes me really proud.
1: And when you, when you look at the the talk that you gave, cause again, one of the things that's so beautiful for you is like you, I was, I've been watching from like the beginning for you of like seeing what's going on in the speaking world and you came on quick. And it was like, oh, this who is this woman? Everyone is talking about this woman. She's got this great brand, and and she's got this this just like uh, unmistakable, unforgettable energy. And it moved really quickly. Are you at a point now, like five years later, where you think, okay, I don't want to be the woman who is seventy years old talking about a hundred days anymore? And how are you finding now that that is the thing you're known for? How are you finding a way to adapt it and and move forward and add new pieces to it?
0: Well, that's a really good question. And it's been a challenge that I only started tackling in the last few months. So before that, I was like, nope, I'm going to continue talking about (laughs) this just because every time I go to a different audience and there there could be 20,000 people in that audience and still I go and nobody knows who I am until I speak. And so that just gives me a sign that I can continue doing this over and over again for years and years. Because there are 7 billion people, I don't know how many people are actually in the world, but there are like a lot, like billions of people. And I was like, it's impossible that they all know my message. So I just have to, you know, continue talking to people that they've never heard of me. But then this year, I started receiving invitations to go back to speak to old clients. And they're like, we want to bring Michelle back, but does she have a new talk? And at that point, I was like, I really want to go back to some of those, <laughs> like th- those were amazing events and I love their audience. And uh, for example, one of those is bringing me back for the, for the third time. So they're like, we already heard her presentation twice. What else she has? And so that challenged me to start a new presentation, new topic, of course, owning what I know how to do best with it, which is courage and authenticity but applied in a different way. So this this time this new talk that I'm building is not ready but it's almost there. It's not about becoming your bravest self, but it's about becoming your most authentic self as a way to innovate in your work. So it's more for a corporate audience of course. If you ask me to give it to an uh to um and like um you know people that are not in the corporate space like I don't know why I forgot the word entrepreneurs yeah yeah <laughs> I have it in Spanish and I'm like that's in Spanish. Um, so it's, <laughs> if I have to give it to entrepreneurs, I think it would be even better because I lo- that's that's my favorite audience right. and I can talk a lot about self-branding but I'm adapting this new talk to be very relevant in the corporate environment. Um, And so it is about innovating by being your most authentic self, like how to differentiate. That's exactly what I did. And what you're saying that I was like rising up very fast in this industry. It's because I focused a lot on differentiating myself. I really wanted to be that air of like, what's it called? The the fresh Fresh air. air. Exactly. That's what I was... I wanted that because I started watching so many speakers and I'm like, same, same, same. I see same, like they're all kind of dressed the same. They speak the same way. Their topics are kind of similar. How can I differentiate myself? And so I started taking a lot of risks to get there, (laughs) risks that I'm very proud of right now and that I want to encourage more people to take those risks, not for a speaking career, but for anything that they want to achieve in their life.
1: Yeah. And it feels like it feels like I don't know in the last year and and even more it's speeding up and up where you know we look at people and we look at people and we think oh my gosh, they're so unique because they stand out because they're different. Like we celebrate people who do that. But then for ourselves, we feel like, well, I couldn't do that. But we look at other people and we say, yeah, they're awesome because they're so them. And yet we feel like if we were to do that, we would be kicked out. We wouldn't be allowed in the room. And and what you're saying is, no, that's the thing that helps you shine.
0: Exactly. It's about embracing the things that are different, quirky, imperfect about ourselves. <laughs> because I think that the more you embrace those things, the more other people will start to perceive them in that same way. For example, if you have a mole, let's say something you can't change about your, well, yeah, unless you get surgery or whatever, but uh, in your face, and then you you don't like it and you try to hide it and you become this person that you don't want to go out because you don't want to be seen because you don't you feel embarrassed about you know something that you don't want to show off then when people see you, they will perceive that and they will feel pity for you. They will see you in the same way that you are seeing yourself. But if you own that, and then you make your entire brand around it and you highlight it and you feel proud of it and you feel this is the best that I have, like, uh, then people will also perceive it that way and they will feel bummed that they don't have something like that.
1: Right. That we don't get to, it's, it's like really like, if you think even back to like, I mean, you probably go back to the beginning of time and this is the truth, but if you look at like Lady Gaga and creating her little monsters and it's like, that's exactly what that was about. And mm-hmm. and I feel like that's probably a huge part of the, the I don't know, 50 million people or something who've, who've been impacted by your work so far. I feel like that's part of what they feel is like, oh, I feel seen because if Michelle can be herself and celebrate that and laugh at herself and post a picture of her like grimacing, eating an oyster, which is how we all feel eating an oyster, by the way, then maybe I can do this little thing that makes me feel brave.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because I expose all of my fears and, (laughs) not, you know, I think that if I would have only exposed fears that are very um, obvious, that are fears like skydiving or holding a tarantula, then you know, it wouldn't be that relatable, even though we all have those fears. It's like, yeah, obviously she's afraid of that. I mean, isn't everybody afraid of that? Right. Uh, because I started exposing very silly fears that still silly for other people. But for me, they were limiting my life, like eating the oyster or getting a Brazilian wax or <laughs> holding a cat for the first time. Like it's a big deal. You know, people can start to see that they they also have those small fears and that they are embarrassed by them. But when they see me being proud of them, like, yeah, I did it. I held a cat <laughs> and I celebrate myself because of those accomplishments they're like, "Oh, maybe I can also expose some of my fears and be proud of them and face them and see what happens."
1: I love it. In your in your new book, Hello Fears, Crush Your Comfort Zone and Become Who You're Meant to Be, in chapter 4, it's called Hello You. Everyone needs to get this book, by the way. It's so beautifully done. It is like when you when you open the book, when you look at the book, everything including the table of contents feels like the hello fears it feels like oh michelle polar is here talking to me right now like our <laughs> own personal life coach is here and i i love i love so let's talk about chapter four it's called hello you becoming your authentic self and then you uh the the kind of like subtitle thing is the one about self-branding and overcoming the imposter syndrome where do you think like if someone is thinking of of adding speaking to their business of adding that It does feel scary because you think, no, I need to be in a suit with my flat shoes and I need to do all these things because I need to fit into expectations. Um, What advice would you pull out of chapter four for those folks?
0: Well, what I was telling you, the new talk that I'm building about tapping into the white space, it's all chapter four. I mean, (laughs) you don't need to listen to my speech. You can just go read chapter four (laughs) and everything is in there. Um, So what we were just talking about you know owning your imperfections and the things that make you different definitely that is like the first advice so i always ask this question to myself what is everybody else doing and how can i do it more me not Mm. even differently because it's not about it's not for the sake of just differentiating yourself it's about owning what you're going to do in the most authentic way so whatever what like i i always thought okay how is everybody for example in the speaking industry right um i live in the united states most of speakers here are american And so I could perceive that as a weakness that I have, that I have an accent and that I don't know all the words and how to put them together, right? (laughs) I'm trying my best. So you could perceive it both ways, either as a weakness or as a strength. So at at the beginning, when I started speaking, I thought it was a weakness. And I was like, I'm never going to be one of those speakers because I can't articulate in the same way. I can't just uh, make up things as I go. I need a script because I can't just start putting a sentence together in the middle of a speech with thousands of people watching, like that's too much pressure. And so I thought it was definitely a weakness, but then I'm like, no, let me embrace that and let me feel good, good about the, the fact that I have an accent and that I'm from somewhere else and that I'm international and I'm totally owning that and I'm going to even, you know, like emphasize on that. Like I'm not going to hide it. And, oh, and I was like, what else can I bring that is different, that is more me? And so I thought, what if I start my presentations dancing all out and I'm not going to be dancing any pop song that is, you know, popular here in America. No, I'm going to be dancing reggaeton, which is what (laughs) I love to dance coming from Venezuela. So um I start all of my presentations dancing like crazy and I go to these very very corporate offices and it was really hard at the beginning. Don't think that this was easy and I was like, yeah, let's do that. It's so exciting. No, I was terrified and I had I I work with my husband so we go together to all of the events. Uh, He's my manager, I'm the speaker. And he had to convince me again and again before every speech to go and dance because I would get very intimidated by the audience. I mean, imagine a room full of people wearing suit and tie and like... (laughs) the women women are wearing dresses and their high heels and then there i am about to start dancing reggaeton like if i'm in front of daddy yankee <laughs> and i want to be part of his video and so um i was like i'm not dancing i'm not dancing look at them i'm definitely not dancing and he's like more than ever you're dancing right now so they would say welcome michelle fuller i click and then my song Dura, that's the name if you want to look it up or you want to put it here a little soundtrack I start dancing and then I have to make people dance. My goal is to at least make one person in that room dance and it is the most uncomfortable moment of the entire presentation because nobody wants to dance and then some like most of the times only a handful of people uh, stand up and dance and that's the whole point so at the end i'm like raise your hand if you thought that was really awkward and everybody laughs and they raise their hand and I'm like, i was like that's the point i wanted to make you make it awkward and uncomfortable for you i'm talking about the comfort zone now so um you know it's just a little way things that we do that help us stand out so ask that question what is everybody else doing how can you do
1: it more. And how did you, how did you translate that into the, the visual look and feel? Because I feel like there's also like, when you look at, you have a great YouTube video about your, you know, teaching people how to design slides in keynote, like a little video of that, that's really helpful that we'll put in the show notes, but everything about the experience feels like, like when you read this book, when someone is reading Hello Fears, they're going to feel like they were seeing you speak. Mm -hmm. When someone watches your videos or goes to your Instagram, so talk about the process of creating the visual identity of Michelle Poehler.
0: Well, so my first advice that I have there is to do something that you like, that you would consume yourself, that you would want to print. Like if you see a post uh, of that image, you want to print it for yourself, you want to put it in your wall, in your notebook, on your phone, whatever it is. So, because I tell you this because when I started my my like my like movement, I guess, my Hello Fears, the brand, I wanted to appeal to everybody. And so I was using mainly two colors, black and yellow, because I was like, black and yellow, that's like a cool com- like combination that represents fear in a way that is very gender neutral, because we all have fear. So I have to talk to everybody. I mean, everybody can be a little bit braver. But along the way, I realized that I was not, that brand was not making me happy Mm. and the brands that I was following and were all more girly brands. They were all, you know, using pink and different colors. And, and every time I was like, Oh, I wish my brand looked like that, Mm -hmm. but no, because I want to appeal to everybody. And the more you want to appeal to everybody, the more you appeal to no one. (laughs) (laughs) Really like, You know, it's just like that. You need to choose your target. And the more niche you are, the more you will connect with that audience. So one day I made the decision. I was like, that's it. I'm not going to fool myself anymore. I'm not really enjoying the brand that I'm building because I I wouldn't consume that. Like, uh, you know, the content is good, whatever, but the visuals are not representing me. And I, you know what, if they don't like it, if men want to follow me, but they don't enjoy my visuals because they're too girly too bad, then they should go follow Lewis House, someone else that is talking about courage in a different way, more manly. And so that day I made that decision and I started putting a lot of color, like bright (laughs) color, pink, I don't care, girly fonts and whatever into my brand. And that day I started to fall in love with Hello Fears. I started working more passionately Mm. and I started to attract the right audience. So um, that's when my my audience started being so engaged and they felt so represented by my brand. And that's the way I, I wanted my book to look like. If my Instagram looks like that, then everything I do has to carry on with the same kind of look and feel.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think even at a lot of these like corporate conferences uh, in front of those audiences, you also then become really unforgettable because even the images behind you, Michelle, are stunning and you and you can't it's like watching a great movie and you can't forget that scene because it's what the person said and it's how it looked and it feels almost like watching that kind of thing seeing you with these images behind you
0: yeah also one of my goals there with my very colorful and well-designed presentation was to make it Instagrammable Mm -hmm. because you know when you when you're hearing a speaker and you really like what they're saying and you're engaging and you take a picture and you like it so much that you feel like you want to take more pictures because you want to uh, capture the moment, right? But then you look at your photos and they all look the same. It's like right. a person on stage looking to the right, looking to the left, opening their arms. That's it, right? Like It's, it's not very colorful, I guess. Like, right. there There's too- a
1: PowerPoint with some words.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very monotonous. So I was like, I want to give people an excuse, like a reason to continually take pictures of me on stage. The best way to do that is by creating these beautiful visuals, because I also want them to share on social media. Think about it. If you really love a speaker, you have all these photos, they all look kind of the same. What do you put on social media? And if their slides are very boring, you don't want... That I mean, the content can be great, and I've done it. I've shared slides that look horrible, but that mm-hmm. they say really amazing things, and that's fine. But if you like slide after slide after slide says uh, like a mind blowing thought that you never consider, and it looks beautiful, I give you you know twenty reasons to share that, and I also go and repost their posts, their, their stories. So. Uh, that's what I get after every presentation. A lot of um, shares on Instagram.
1: Yeah. And it creates, again, in thinking about you know how quickly your career in as a speaker and a thought leader um, has gone, there's part of it that this is just really great branding. It's every single part of interacting with you feels this way. And so when you're at an event, I've seen this before, where you've been at an event And people have taken pictures and I always go and look whenever I see something, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go look at the hashtag for the event. And so I'll go look at it. And all of the time at events that you're at, it is your slides that are getting shared over and over more than the other speakers. And it's just such a great, smart message to anybody out there around visual branding and how to do that for yourself, even if it's just a few simple slides, just giving people something to share.
0: Now you're giving me an idea to <laughs> launch an online course on how to do branding for
1: speakers. Oh my gosh. This is exactly. Well, so one of the things that like, I do inside of the, the courses that I lead is talking about how it isn't just about having a great speech. Like Those days are over where you could just be a good speaker. And in fact, if you're just a good speaker, who cares? We want a personality. We want the whole package. We want all of it. And so what I think stands out so great about you is that you have a point of view. You have a perspective, you have an idea, and then all of that is packaged in a way that's very easy for people to remember, consume, and associate back with you. And I think sometimes people go out and they speak on topics that are safe and boring with safe and boring slides, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's good. But when you do it in a way like what you've done, where it's, it's, it's different, not to be different, but different because only Michelle can be saying this because it comes from you. It really helps people stand out. And if I was going to learn visual branding from anybody, it would be you. So I'll be waiting for that course because uh, <laughs> everything is just so beautiful. I love it. Did you? So you're talking about this period of making that decision. Obviously, you're you're getting in front of people. You have you know like nearly eighty thousand followers on the Hello Fears account on Instagram. In chapter three of the book, it's called "Hello Society: Checking Your Own Boxes," the one about figuring out what to do with others' opinions and society's checklists. Did you get a lot of those after you launched as a speaker?
0: No, not after. A, uh, well, only a few after I launched. But I, in that chapter, I mostly focused on the time where I made the decision to move to New York. Yeah. And do a master's in branding because I I got married at 23 years old. and But it was... It, for some people, it sounds very young, but in where I come from is normal. Like, yeah. all my friends were getting married at the same time. And so, of course, our plan and all of my friends' plan was to start having kids two years, like, around that, a year to three years top from that date. That's what I thought, too, for myself. But when I, three years later, decided to move to New York... Uh, Some people gave me pushback because they were like, what do you mean move to New York to do a master? I mean, you've been married for three years. I mean, I think it's time for you to buy a place, right, and start having kids, don't you think? And I got that from a lot of people, actually. And I was like, "Mm, I can, yes, but I'd rather spend or not spend, invest my money in a master program, living in the city of my dream, having a man, you know, like getting this experience and living my life to the fullest right now before I have kids. So I don't have regrets later. Mm-hmm. So the whole chapter focuses a lot on that on the move uh, I made from a very stable, predictable life, checking society's boxes. I had a full time job, a really good job, actually in advertising as an art director. I married the love of my life. I had, uh, you know, everything I needed. And then I decided to get uncomfortable and look for something else. And that's what I want to encourage people to do.
1: I love it. I love it. And one of the things that's that's so great about, you know, I was watching your TEDx Houston talk, and the audience is with you right from the beginning because you come out and you're just so you. And the like one of the very first big laughs comes when you talk about uh, I think it was like the second or third uh, fear, which was oysters. And what I love about it is, and, and there's so many of these throughout the book as well, is taking universal truths, using your specific story that is like, well, maybe I specifically wasn't scared of that. Or maybe I specifically wasn't a 23-year-old in New York getting that pressure. But your specific stories allows us to see universal truths in a way, doesn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. That, that's the idea that we all feel at the end a little bit like the same. And when they see me, <laughs> they see themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it it creates a space. What's been the most surprising in the last five years as you've been out there sharing this message, what's been the most surprising response you've got from someone? Because I imagine, and, and there's a ton of these videos out there of people responding back to you and saying, hey, I did this or I did that. What's been the one that was most surprising to you?
0: One of my favorite ones that I like to share is a follower of mine that one day she was like i need to face a really big fear that you every single time that you post something reminds me that i need to (laughs) face that fear that i need to be braver because i want to be free and if i don't face that fear i'm living a lie and i was like what does she mean like and i thought Maybe that she was gay and she had to come out of the closet. That's what I thought. And then she's like, can we hop on a call on Zoom? And normally I don't do this. I don't work one-on-one with followers or, or clients like that. But I was intrigued and I was like, sure, let's go, get on Zoom. And so I see her. She's beautiful, blonde, um, Venezuelan. Her name is also Michelle, <laughs> living in <laughs> Dallas. And I'm like, okay. And she's telling me, that she wants to face a fear. And I'm like, but what is it? And suddenly she grabs like her hair and pulls it off and it's a wig. And she's like, I don't have hair. I have alopecia since I was a teenager, but nobody knows that. And I want the whole world to know this. And you've inspired me in so many ways to be brave, but I wanted to first tell you this and ask for your help. How can I, you know, come out of this, shell and expose myself. So what I asked her first, first was, how do you feel when you're not wearing your wig at home? She's married and everything. And, and she's like, I feel very confident and I feel very beautiful. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. all I needed to know. So yeah, let's get on with this. Let's face that fear. Let's rip that band- band-aid. So I encouraged her to do a story on Instagram where little by little, she would, every frame of the story like get her wig and started pulling it up, and until she has no hair and to just expose herself as she is to the world and she did it and then she lost her wig and never wore it again and she wow. every day she thanks me for for that and now we became really good friends
1: that's so great I love that. And what an interesting, I mean, it's also just an interesting metaphor for all of us, right? Of saying like, what's the thing that we are presenting to the world that's not really who we are that we then also don't feel good about? Because there's a lot of things we do that it's like, okay, like I have to do work to make my hair look like this, or I have to do work to dress a certain way, or I have to do work to present my brand. And those things feel fine because they don't feel not real. They feel like who you are. But then there's that one thing that we keep doing, that we keep putting in front of people because we don't want them to see us. And it feels like when that thing comes undone, we step into who we are. Yeah. Do you remember what that one thing was for you?
0: Um, I think that I can't, it's hard for me to say one thing. That's a good question. Maybe I have to think more about it. <laughs> But I remember when I started doing the 100 day project and filming myself, I thought I had to look perfect on camera. So yeah. every single day I would do my hair, makeup. I would not even wear my glasses because I was embarrassed by my glasses. Not embarrassed, but I was like, no, what's the prettiest that I can look? And it's without them. So for if you watch the first videos of my project you see that I'm not wearing glasses and that I have like my hair done and all of that and I was even like choosing my clothes according you know (laughs) to what the standards of beauty are and then very early in the project I was like that's it I'm going to I don't care it's all about the courage I'm putting out there not about how I look. Because yeah. my entire life, I relied a lot on how I looked. And I was like, if I screw up, if I say something wrong, if I'm not as intelligent, it's okay. Because at least I'm pretty. That's what I thought for a, a long time. And, and then I was worried because I'm like, I'm not going to be pretty forever. I mean, we grow old and that will fade away. So what can I do then? And then suddenly I start stopping, um, caring about how I look. And I was caring more about my thoughts. What are some of the things that I'm putting out into the world? How can I impact people? And when I started focusing on that, I stopped focusing on how I look that much. And yeah, changed everything.
1: I love that. And it's also, it's interesting too, because it's kind of the same thing that it's a, it's similar to the process you were talking about with saying, you know what, no more yellow and black brand. That's that's not really who I am. I'm going to go to this thing who I am. And then, Wow. The world really loves that authenticity, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, they resonate with your authentic self, not with the brand you built for yourself.
1: Yeah, it's so good. You talk about in um, chapter eight, it's called Hell No, Hello, (laughs) Hell No, Heck Yes, Learning How to Ask for the Things You Want and Deserve, The One About Becoming the Most Assertive Person You Know. Uh, Tell us about that. Why is that a chapter in here?
0: so i have a hard time with being assertive asking for things saying no to things like rejecting people and getting rejected so i felt i had to write that chapter for me yeah. <laughs> so i had a lot of help writing this chapter because um for example the hello society the one we were talking about before chapter three it was easy for me because i was able to own that like I said no to society's checkbox I said yes to myself I learned so much but for chapter eight I was like I'm still not there but I want to talk about it so I asked Adam my husband he's a very assertive person and he has no problem saying no or saying the things as they are to people and he's people still like him and respect him so I admire him for that so a big chunk of that chapter is him telling me how to be more assertive, and I say that like assertive people uh, blank. And so it's a bunch of things that I that we all need to learn from how assertive people do things. Um, and yeah, it's about it's about also prioritizing your needs, which is something I do know how to do. I prioritize my needs, uh, put them above. Maybe other people, because it is my life, and I want to do what makes me happier. so
1: it's uh, it's such an interesting thing so often too, in this in this world. you know as as speakers and as as people with brands out there, we it can be easy to to lose track of that, to start to say like, "Oh, I've got to do this post and I got to go to that place, and this person called and needs me there, so I've got to do that." And then we wake up one day and we say, "What am I doing?" this isn't, this isn't what I did. You, as as part of a class assignment in April, 2015, you did that timeline where you mapped out like 10 years, that project that you were doing. And it was, it was 2015, right? Yeah, I was like Mm -hmm. the start of this. And it's interesting to think of how many people don't ever stop to do that. And then things start happening in your life and you keep saying yes to them and you don't realize, wait, what is my actual yes? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, hell yes, this is for me. And what is actually just me giving other people what they want?
0: Yeah, every time, exactly. Every time we say yes to someone else, we're saying no to ourselves. So yeah. that is something I had to learn because I went from a lifetime of saying no <laughs> to a lot of experiences, right? Every single thing that someone asked me or proposed to me, I was like, no, that is outside of my comfort zone. Sorry. So I just said no. And then when I did the project, I got addicted to saying yes. And I started, I challenged myself every single time to say yes to every experience. And then it got to a point that I realized that it was happening, what you're saying that, wait, I'm saying yes to so many things and I'm not even thinking, what do I want? Where do I want to take my life and my career? And so I had to learn how to say no and what I was saying, prioritize Your own needs and have the courage to say no to others. That's why that chapter helps me. (laughs) And so I have to go and read it back again and again uh, because it's so important if we want to achieve our own goals.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what? So what? What can you share that is still left on that timeline? Is there any? Are there? or, Or have your dreams changed so much because of what's happened in the last few years? Are there still things left on there for you?
0: Well, I think that the one thing left in there for me is to have kids. Yeah, is that even though that is part of society's boxes and you should have, you know, you're expected to have kids. That is something that I still want to do. And I want to do it on my own timeline. I think yeah. that's the difference. It's the same thing. But uh, the timeline when you do things also matters, because if you do it, maybe. Right before, right after getting married, then maybe you are following society's guidelines in that way, right? And you're like, yeah, I should do it. And most of the couples do it right there, right? They wait one year. That that's like the rule. <laughs> wait one year, and then you have a baby. Um, and so that that was her plan too. Until I started to revolutionize, I guess, all my life and and, and question. I started to question a lot and mm. now it's a matter of yeah doing that because i want to and i'll do it in my own terms and in my own time and so yeah i've uh, i've been married already for 9 years and i have i get the question a lot when are you having kids i don't get it that much now because people are tired of asking me that right. but i got it for so many years and it was exhausting cuz yeah. you know and the more i got it the less i wanted it i'm like now even less i want that and i want to do it in my own terms
1: yeah yeah you're talking about you were talking about questioning things and and you know like just questioning what's going on and questioning what did i want what was i doing what are the things today that you question cuz it feels like if someone's watching they would probably look at you and be like i want her life i want to travel around i want a beautiful brand i want the book i want all of these things what are the things today that you still are questioning or what are the new things you're questioning
0: well, now I, now that we are thinking about kids <laughs> and having a family, um, I question what kind of mom I want to be and where do I want to raise my kids and what's right and what's wrong according to society and then what's right and what's wrong according to me and my husband. So, hmm. for example, our entire family lives in Miami and we moved to Miami a month ago Thinking about that, we're like, if we want to have kids, we need the help because I'm a speaker. I'm the one traveling. I do it with Adam. So who's going to take care of my kids when i continue traveling? Because I don't want to stop. And so we moved here to get all the help. And then we thought, how for how many years are are we going to be here? How many years do we need the help? Because uh, and yes, it's nice for kids to grow up next to family. But is the best education here in Miami? I don't know. Is you know the environment, the culture that I want for my kids here in Miami? I don't know. I have to take all those things into account, and so I'm starting to question all of those things related to motherhood.
1: Yeah, yeah. The next, the next chapter. Uh, what happens after? Right. That's the the interesting thing.
0: And also, how much you expose your life as a mom, and how much yeah. you expose your kids. Without them having a saying on that, because I expose my life a lot on social media. I share everything. There's nothing that I keep to myself. And I think I will continue doing that with my kids. But then let's see how much they enjoy it, because I don't want to force them to be anything or to, you know, expose themselves if, if that's something they don't
1: enjoy. Yeah. It's so funny. That's one of the things we're like working on becoming parents as well, my husband and I, and that's one of the, he's much more private than I am, but still like he's on TV a lot. He's a chef. So he's on TV a lot doing promotions and, and doing segments and things. Uh, but I am certainly like self, self uh, exposing everything, talking about whatever. And so it's an interesting thing to think about like, well, at what point does the, like at what point is it my right to share my child when they don't get to say yes or no yet? And then at what point do they get old enough to say, hey, stop it? So it's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it?
0: It is, cause it's a new era, it's yeah. one that we didn't experience. And in my case, it was the opposite. My parents are very private. They don't like to brag about themselves, talk about themselves, expose themselves. And so, but as a kid, I wanted that exposure. And so I begged my mom to put me on TV and she would never do it. She's like, no, no, no. I don't want the exposure, you know, like, I don't know, fear, I guess fear. Yeah. But in my case, it's not that I want that for them or the other. I just want them to be happy and I want to be able to listen to what they're asking me. So if they want that, I will you know give them that but if they don't i will listen
1: yeah it's so it's funny michelle to think back to like you being a you being a, a a little girl and wanting to be on tv and then looking today and being like oh you've been on you've been on all the shows you've done all these things in this way that we like somehow like that little truth of us as a as a child we figure out a way to do it as well yeah If you were looking back, if you were looking back at this this little girl who was seven years old, who thought she saw a campfire and then realized it wasn't a campfire and finally got her glasses and saw the world for the first time, if you were looking back at her as the person you are now, having influenced millions of people around the world to to, uh, have courage and to have bravery... Uh, when, when looking at their fears, who your new book, uh, your new great book, hello fears out there, what would you say to seven-year-old Michelle who just started seeing the world for the first time?
0: Well, if there's one thing that I could tell her, and that's one thing that I never heard and dictated a lot of my fears and my behavior growing up would be that when you experience fear, take that as a sign of growth instead of as a sign of danger and then i would tell her like you know when something is actually dangerous and when something has the potential to bring new opportunities into your life so don't allow the fear of anything you know everything i guess being dangerous to take um to hold you back from those opportunities because every time i experienced the feeling of fear I took that as a sign that I shouldn't go on with that adventure or with that decision. So I was like, no, my body is telling me not to do it. But the the real sign here is that our body is telling us to grow and grow is uncomfortable. And I think that if I would have heard that message when I was younger, then I would have embraced the feeling of fear and adventure way more.
1: Wow, I am just such a big fan of Michelle Polar, and I know that you probably are too now that you've heard this episode. So go ahead and check out her book, Hello Fears, Crush Your Comfort Zone and Become Who You're Meant to Be. Everywhere books are sold, you can check it out at hellofearsbook.com. Michelle is on Instagram at hellofears, and you can find her at michellepohler.com. Uh, what a great episode. I mean, it's just such an exciting thing when someone is winning in such a big way by being themselves. And that is what I want for all of you as well. So thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the show, then head on over to iTunes and subscribe. Maybe leave a review when you're there because, you know, people like those things. Anyway, have a great one. We'll see you on the next episode.
2: This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeGanino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeGanino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag MikeDropMoment?